Good to see you all this morning. Looks like a bit of a homecoming almost. I, I like, I'm looking out and I'm seeing some faces I hadn't seen in a while. In a little while, uh, please let Ty and Karen and, and, and Sly know that y'all are glad that Sloan know that you were here. That, uh, tell, them, tell them thank you for being here. Mike and Donna, thank you for being here. Uh, let's see, who am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting some people. Anyway, if you're here and you haven't been here in a while, thank you for being here. It's like a homecoming almost. Um, but anyways, I am I'm glad to be here this morning. We are continuing our study. For those of you who have not been here, we are in a study called the Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And uh, this is a book by Mark Dever, and uh, I encourage you to get it and read it. It's a good, good read for the summer. Uh, for those of you who may be visiting today, you're looking for a good church. Well, I believe in a sovereign God, and I believe that God wants you to be in a healthy church. In fact, I know that God wants that because He's told us in His Word, and God says He loved the church, and He gave His life for her. So there's a body of believers gathered, and the question is, is it a healthy gathering, or is it unhealthy? Is it biblical, or is it unbiblical? And so this summer series that we're going through is helping us to discover um, the nine marks of a healthy church. And I think you will find this encouraging uh, and helping us as a church, because I believe Community Baptist Church is a healthy church, but I think it's helping us reset the button. And so uh, I'm encouraged with this study. We're in the second part today. We're going to be talking about biblical theology. Uh, I know, that's a $10 word, isn't it? Don't let that word scare you. We're going to break it down. We're going to talk about it. But before we start looking at what a healthy church is, I thought it might be good for us to look at maybe what an unhealthy church might be like. Yes, yes. Um, so I found a few church signs. Marks of a not-so-healthy church. Tired of being a loser? Turn to God. Probably one of, I'm just, I mean, again, they may be great churches, guys, but I'm just saying, usually you don't pick up a book to read it if you don't like the cover, but <laughs> I don't know if that's bringing you in. But uh, anyways, uh, how about this one? Jesus is the sizzle, is the rizzle for the sizzle. Yeah, I'm probably thinking they probably aren't really focusing on Bib interp in that one. I'm just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, call me crazy. Um, but I want to stay away from that one. Maybe you're looking for a church. You probably want to pass this one up too. Our Sundays are better than Dairy Queen. Okay. Yeah. Makes me want to go. <laughs> Ice cream social to follow. <laughs> How about this one? Uh, we love hurting people. <laughs> now, listen. You ask a lot of people on the street, the church has already done a good job of that. So, okay, yeah, we don't, we don't, need, we don't need to be hurting people. I don't, I don't know if I want to go over there. Get slain in the spirit. Oh, yeah, probably don't need that. How about this one? <clears throat> Come here, our pastor. He's not very good, but he's short. <laughs> yeah, look, you know that doesn't apply for this guy. I'm talking about the short part, right? <laughs> Anyways, how about this one? Uh, do you know, well, I'll let that one speak for itself. You guys can't read that back row, right? I don't need to, I don't need to interpret that one, right? Okay. Said no one ever from Community Baptist, I hope. <laughs> okay. How is a good time, uh, now is a good time to visit. Our pastor's on vacation. 
Yeah, and if I was their pastor, I'd be on a permanent vacation if I came back and saw that sign. Don't get any ideas, all right? Don't get any ideas. That's right, this is a good thing. This is, <laughs> don't start one, won't be none. Yes, that's right, not in the budget. That's it, I like, we'll stick with that. We're going with that. Yeah, these probably aren't real healthy churches. I'm just guessing. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. I mean, what were these people thinking? And listen, guys, let me just say, a little Google search, there were a lot of church signs I could not put up. It was, yes, oh my, it's not even, oh my, yes, and then some. How about this one? A rock concert followed by someone's opinion and poor exegesis. Thinking I'm not going to that church. <laughs> yeah, it's the first church of honesty, so... Hey, maybe they just felt convicted to put the sign up the way they saw it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm leaving this one up because that's, that's sort of the reason why, guys, I, I, I believe the Lord's leading us at a time such as this to really step back and look at the intent of the church. Why did God save us? Why did God call us out from the world? Why did God call us together? as believers? What is his mission? What is his purpose? What is he doing in us and through us in reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And we have gotten so off track in churches. These are, for the most part, I think, real signs. But I don't have to tell you, many of you have told me, being on vacation or coming out of other churches and backgrounds and churches you've been involved in, and they focus on anything and everything but Jesus Christ. They focus on anything and everything but the gospel of Christ. They focus on anything and everything but exalting Christ. Most of our churches today are man-centered, anthropocentric. It's all about you. And so they appeal to you in your flesh. What can I get out of this church? Many of you, and listen, let's just be real. Many of us have been so programmed through tradition of going to church that we even come to Community Baptist Church seeking what God will do for me as if I'm the center of the universe. Now don't get me wrong. Yes, we all need to hear from God. We all need to receive from God. But guys, newsflash, it's not about us. This is all about Him. What a privilege. What an honor. What an all-exalting glory to be called into the family of God by the Spirit of God. To know that we rebelled against God we, we turned our back on Him as humanity, as a creation. We spit in His face. We've denied Him. We love darkness rather than light. And apart from the quickening power of the Spirit of God to reach out and grip us, to call us to repentance, we are lost and on our way to a real hell. God in His goodness and grace He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But because the desire of our heart is man-centered, self-centered, the depravity 
of our own heart oftentimes keeps us. The blinding of our mind from the enemy keeps us from seeing the glorious light of the gospel. And unless that glorious light of the gospel should penetrate the heart of man and awaken us to why we're here, the whole point of this life, the whole point of being here, unless the Spirit of God awaken us to that, we go through this life stumbling, thinking it's about us, thinking it's about this next paycheck, thinking it's about my family, thinking it's about enjoying myself, thinking it's about being happy. To what? Die and go to an eternity? Lost forever? Perishing forever? Apart? Separated from the holiness, the goodness, the graciousness, the kindness of God? What does it gain? What, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his own soul? And there's too many churches in America and around the world that are focusing on getting your praise on. Let's get a praise on. Oh, it feels so good swaying. Getting caught. Oh, it feels so good that appeals to who you are, tickles your ears. So they bring in teachers and they put them up in the pulpits. I like this guy. This guy here. Y'all need to come hear this guy here. And they focus on the man. The programs. Guys, these are simply, we are simply instruments and tools in the hands of God. And that's what we must remain in the hands of God if we want to be used by God. But let's never lose sight, church. If we're going to be a healthy church, all eyes on Christ. All eyes on Him. Let's lift His name. And the way we're going to understand Him and know Him is through biblical theology. Because if we don't take God's Word as authoritative, if we don't take God's Word as the instruction on how we are to live and worship God, we're left to our own devices. We're left to figure this out on our own. And that's what a lot of churches have done. And that's why there's need for healthy churches today. Because a lot of churches have lost their way. And so I want us to refocus as we go through this study. I want us to take a look at, again, what did God intend when He called us out? So as we unpack these nine marks of a healthy church, hopefully the picture will come into focus. You remember last week we talked about expositional preaching. If we're going to be a healthy church, if you want to be a part of a healthy church, from the pulpit, from the teaching ministries, they must be doing what's known as expositional teaching and preaching. And basically that was, this is preaching which expounds what Scripture says in a particular passage. Carefully explaining its meaning and applying it to the congregation. It is a commitment to hearing God's Word, and I'd say in heeding God's Word, and to recovering the centrality of it in our worship. Context, context, context. Location, location, location. And you remember we used this illustration last week that people in the church and, and, and Christians, we do this all the time, we pull one verse out of context. And we try to fit it to our life where we are. Guys, that is not proper interpretation of Scripture. And I use the illustration. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why I'm going to hit this home run. 
That's not what that passage is about. So I need to look at the big picture. I need to back it up in that context of Philippians. And what is it saying? It's saying, hey man, if I'm in prison, if I've lost everything, if I've been hungry and starving, or I've been full, or whether I've been exalted, or whether I've been abased, whether I've, you know, regardless, highs and lows through life, it doesn't matter what I face, the trials, the tribulations, the sufferings, the testings, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. By His grace, I can navigate these waters. I can see my way through. That's not hitting a home run. And so we talked about expositional preaching and how important it is to not just pull a verse out of context, but to understand the people it was written to. Remember the homiletical bridge I showed you last week? Understand who this was written to. Who was the original audience? What was going on there? And then how does that carry over across time to where you and I are today? Where does that help us? Where does that apply to us in principle and in truth? What did God intend when He wrote to them? And the same truth that applied to them applies to us. And so it's important that we do expositional, exegetical teaching. That means we pull from God's Word. We don't pour into God's Word. Too many people pouring into God's Word, meaning... Oh, Jesus came to give me abundant life, so I'm going to pour into that. That means He wants me to have a jet plane and a Cadillac. That's teaching on TV, guys. That's, her- that's, that's heretical. I've got a friend of mine lives West Coast. And I've been trying to witness to him over the years. I worked with him on the, on the cruise line. The cruise industry used to uh, help a little bit with this. He was their sound man, light guy for the Legends in Concert. And so had a good friendship with him back in my unsaved days. As a believer, I've tried to encourage him. In fact, when Dr. Mel Winstead and I flew out to uh, California uh, many years back to go to the uh, Shepherds Conference at John MacArthur's church, I reached out to him. I wanted to meet him. I wanted him to come. Of course, you know, got things I got to do. I can't, can't, can't make it. But he, every now and then, he'll put up on his Facebook post some comical Christian video, and he'll make fun of it. And you know what? It's sad because the videos he's posting is stuff that ought to make every believer cringe. You guys have seen it. These guys waving their jackets and people falling out. Is that really why Christ came? Is that really what a healthy church should be doing? So I tried to encourage him yesterday that as a Christian man, this doesn't represent my faith. And call it what it is, heretical. Guys, if we don't understand context and we don't understand expositional teaching and preaching, then we're going to misinterpret Scripture. We're already in a bent to have that happen. Today we're going to talk about biblical theology. And so what is that? Theology comes from two Greek words. Theos, which means God, and logos, which means word. So, combined, it means words of God, words about God. And so when you think of biblical theology, theology based on the Bible. Well, that's a real brain buster, isn't it? I know, it's going to take a while. Specifically, theology that seeks to derive its categories of thought and the norms for its interpretation from the study of the Bible as a whole. So, for example... 
some type of biblical theology. Maybe you're going through the Bible from cover to cover, and you want to know what the Bible has to say in regards to angels. And so uh, you develop through systematic theology, the, uh, maybe specifically systematic theology, and, and you begin to study this idea of angels throughout the Scripture. But back up from that, and biblical theology would say, okay, well, let's look at these angels, and let's look at the overall big picture and how God used this in the narrative of the story about Him. Simply put, biblical theology is letting the Bible teach you who God is. Real simple, cookies on the bottom shelf. Let the Bible teach you who God is. Because here's something, gang, that, that most people miss. Every single book in the Old Testament, 39, in the New Testament, 27, it is one continuous story. Yes, written over thousands of years. Forty-some-plus authors held the pen, but God moved upon them, inspired them. It's God-breathed. They wrote the thoughts of God as God moved them to write. It's His story. From the beginning to the end, it's a common theme of God's redemptive history. Don't miss that. It's the continual story of God's redemptive history. So if I'm looking in Leviticus, if I'm not careful, I'm not going to see the forest. I'm not even going to see the trees because I'm too focused on the leaf. And I'm saying, what in the world does this have to do with the fact that they did this type of washing? And, and I must, you know, what, what does this have to do with anything? But if I zoom back and I see Leviticus in the context of the big picture, I begin to understand the holiness of God. I begin to see God as a God who disdains sin. I begin to see God as a God who does things decently and in order. There are truths and themes that flow throughout. But it's important, guys, that I don't lose sight of the big picture. That's what biblical theology helps us with. Now, why do you need to know this? You say, well, I, you know, I'm not a preacher. Why do I need to know this? Everyone's a theologian. Every one of you is a theologian. Well, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't go to seminary. You know what? You signed up when you said, I do. When you surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ and you asked Him to be your Lord and King, you were born again by the Spirit of God. You are now part of His kingdom. And you are an ambassador. So you better get some on-the-job training. And this is why you need a healthy church so that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and King. Everyone's a theologian. Now, not everyone's a good theologian. We're using good here as defined as theology that conforms to biblical revelation. Okay, We've got a lot of bad theologians out there. right? A lot of bad ambassadors. And sometimes we can fall and stumble in this category. 
And this is why it's important for us. Specifically for me as a pastor, for us pastors, Pastor Nate, Pastor Dean, teachers, uh, why do I need to know this? Well, I've been called to preach the Word of God. 2 Timothy 4.2. It's a calling on my life. I had better be certain of what I'm teaching and preaching. Because God's Word instructs, warns. Don't let too many of you become teachers, knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. And so it's important that I am rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And again, as Larry mentioned in Sunday school, praying that that my tongue would be controlled by the Master, that the words that I would speak, to use scriptural language, would be the oracles of God. Because if there's anything that's worth saying, it's going to be what He said, not what I have to say. And so I covet your prayers that as I teach, as I preach, that I will rightly divide the word of truth, that I will speak in the power of God, the words of God. Therefore, I testify, Acts 20, 26 through 32. If you want to turn there, you can. Acts 20, uh, 26 through 32. I'll put it up on the screen. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul's custom when he would go into towns would be to open the Word of God. He'd go to the synagogues. He'd go to the Jewish uh, people who had the Old Testament Scriptures. And he would begin to speak to them from the Old Testament Scriptures to try and show them Christ in the Old Testament Scripture. You remember the Ethiopian, right? He's heading out of Jerusalem. You remember um, Philip comes to him. He's, he's, got, he, he's reading the scroll. The, the guy's reading the uh, uh, scroll from Isaiah. And he says, you know what you're reading? He says, no, man, I can't understand this. Help me. And he begins to point out to him Jesus in that. You think of Isaiah 53. What is Isaiah 53 about? You remember my story I told you coming back from John MacArthur's Shepherd Conference. I'm sitting, you've got a Catholic, a Baptist, and a Jew. Sounds like the start of a joke, doesn't it? Probably was. And yet, here I was in the middle of these two ladies. They weren't getting no sleep. <laughs> and it was a red-eye flight. Because you know this chatterbox started up, man. We weren't slowing down. Captive audience. <laughs> and so, I asked the Jewish girl, hey, let me read something to you. Because they were wanting you know, to argue with me. I just wanted to you know, let the cage out. But anyway, let the line out the cage. Anyway, they, they, you know, they weren't really arguing. They were just were asking questions. And I said, well, let me read something to you. Let me read something. I read Isaiah 53. And I said, who, who was that talking about? She said, well, that's talking about Jesus. But I don't believe in your Jesus. I said, well, that's funny because I just read your scriptures. Oh. Well, I could see how somebody could, could take it that way then. That, that, that maybe, okay, I could see that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The whole counsel of God, guys. The Old Testament is given to us as an example. But it's also an unfolding story that's leading us to the cross. From creation, where God made everything good, very good, to the fall, to the curse, through the covenants, Abrahamic, Davidic, through the Mosaic law, all of this unfolding of the old covenant leads us to the cross of Calvary. It's all pointing to Jesus coming. 
You guys ought to know this. We spent a couple years in Hebrews, unpacking Hebrews. I'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. But the whole counsel of God, pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock. This is instruction to us as pastors, that I have a responsibility to be careful, to pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. Again, it's about Him. He purchased it. It belongs to Him. You're not your own, gang. You're not your own. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And therefore, we have a responsibility to glorify God in our bodies. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of His grace. You see what he's commending them to? Guys, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Retain the standard of sound words. 2 Timothy 1, 13-14 says this, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. 4, 1 through 4 says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. People don't want sound doctrine. Nobody got time for that. They want, they want to go into church, see somebody juggle and spit fire. I mean, you know, that's the day in which we live. They want to have a good story. They want a guy to sit up on a little, you know, stool and, and just with a sweater on and just, you know. Jesus loves you. Say it with me. Jesus loves me. I mean, you know, this is, the, this is the church in which we live in these days. They don't want sound doctrine. That's boring, man. Y'all just read the Bible. Y'all like study. I don't go to church to study. Wow, okay. We're probably not the church for you then. But according to their own desires, I don't want a church that's got that rock band with a fog machine. I want to see that guy stroke it like this, you know. That's what, you know, some people are looking for that. You know, I want the preacher to wave his jacket so I can fall over. Woo, the spirit was moving today. I'm not sure that was the spirit. <laughs> but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Guys, we've been warned about this. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Titus 1.9 says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Guys, we're not to get in a fight with others over this. But we are... 
to sanctify in our heart, be separated apart, and have Christ richly dwelling within our heart. Set apart, ready to give a reason, ready to give a defense for the hope that dwells within us with meekness, gentleness. How are we going to do that if we're not equipped? If we're eating cotton candy, spiritually speaking, all the time. Now don't get me wrong, a little cotton candy I like every now and then. That's why I throw a joke in once in a while. Maybe more than I should. Depends on if you ask my wife. <laughs> but all the time? All the time? It's not a healthy spiritual diet. And so, you know, I, I don't discriminate against dessert. I like a little every now and then at the end of the meal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah! So, sound doctrine. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So there are times when we are called with the truth to be bold. But, the, but being sound in the faith is the goal. So what theology does, it brings all that God has said on a given subject together. All right? It, theology builds on expositional preaching because it takes the individual truths gleaned from each passage and asks, how does the truth in this passage interact with the truth in that passage? And so, for example, you may be looking at sacrifices in the Old Testament. Well, what is that all about? You know? Because we're not sacrificing animals anymore. But see, if you know biblical theology, we recognize from the moment of creation when the fall happens, one of the first things that God does is He provides a sacrifice. He provides an atonement. He provides a covering for their nakedness and their shame. These things symbolically speak to the coming of Christ who will remove the sin, who will take away our guilt, who will take away our shame through the shedding of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. These sacrifices that were being carried out in the Old Testament were progressively walking us towards the coming. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you see why it's important to see the big picture? To understand where this was going. This is culminating at the cross and eventually in the return of Christ. I'll give you an illustration here in just a second. Biblical theology is about reading the Bible, not as if it's 66 separate books, but a single book with a single plot. God's glory displayed through Jesus Christ. So as you read through your quiet times, as you read through any passage of Scripture, back up, what's the location, what's the context? But also see the big picture. How does this fit in God's redemptive history? The grandfather of biblical theology, Gerhardus Voss, defines biblical theology as, quote, that branch of exegetical theology which deals with the process of the self-revelation of God deposited in the Bible. According to Voss, biblical theology focuses on the divine activity of God as it unfolds through history, as recorded in the 66 books of the Bible. Voss' definition helps us understand one of the principles of biblical theology. It is historical and moves from seed to tree. 
it moves from seed to tree. Guys, this is the way to see your Bible right here. Creation, fall, Abrahamic covenant, mosaic, law, Christ coming, dying upon the cross, death, burial, resurrection, and eventually, fruit, millennial kingdom. One day, Christ will return. One day, paradise lost. We're going to get that thing to laser. Paradise lost will be paradise restored. That's what that book is all about. It's a story about Him and His glory. It's about Him and His grace. It's about Him and His goodness. It's about Him giving His only begotten Son that whosoever shall believe in Him, should trust in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. From seed to tree to fruit. The teaching of the Old Testament points to Christ, and the teaching of Christ is grounded in the Old Testament. Graham Goldsworth refers to this as progressive redemptive uh, revelation. Jesus Christ is the goal of the Old Testament and provides its true meaning. You're not going to understand the Old Testament if you don't look at Christ. If you don't see Christ in those pages, then you're going to miss the point of the message. Understanding, any understanding of and commentary on the Old Testament that does not show up this fact is at best incomplete and at worst, unchristian. Check this out. Biblical theology helps counter false religion. This is why this is important in a healthy church that we study biblical theology because I think it helps you in articulation and in, in discussion and defending the faith against world religions, some, some of the world religions. For example, uh, well, we're told this in Scripture. Jude 1.3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. But here's the problem. If you just leave it to the Old Testament, the Old Testament's incomplete. Four major religions recognize the Old Testament is incomplete on its own. Judaism. Eagerly waits for the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, rejecting Christ as its fulfillment and the teachings of the New Testament. If you and I do not know how to see Christ in the Old Testament, if you and I do not know how to see Him in the symbolism and the representation from the promised seed, Genesis 3.15, remember what happened to the curse? Remember there was a promise made that through her seed would come that Messiah and that He would crush the head of the serpent the serpent would bruise his heel. This is, again, a telling of the coming of Christ. And so you trace that line throughout the Old Testament. All of those things are pointing to Christ. But Judaism rejects it. That's why when they hear Isaiah 53 read of the suffering servant, and they hear all that suffering that Jesus did upon the cross, they know this is talking about Jesus, but their theology won't let them say that because then that would be blasphemy in their religion, and so they want to try to find ways to reject it. Suppressing the truth and unrighteousness is typically the way all men 
reject truth. Islam believes the Bible is corrupt and sees Ishmael, not Isaac, as the central character through which the storyline of the, of the Bible develops. Islam rejects Jesus Christ as Lord and embraces the prophet Muhammad's uh, alternate ending to the story. So again, in their eyes, Old Testament's incomplete. We got the completion. Mormons claim to accept the Old and New Testament, but see, God's revelation contained in the Bible was incomplete. Thus, the Book of Mormon was added to the end of the New Testament in attempt to complete the story of the Bible. Christianity believes the Bible is God's full and final revelation, a self-contained story of redemption, history focusing on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So our conclusion. The central theme of the Bible explains everything in life and provides Christians with a framework by which to live. Guys, we're not going to have a biblical worldview if we don't understand the Bible in its whole. We're not going to know how to face life's problems because we're self-centered and we're going to try to handle it and wrestle it the way we think it's best, the way I think I should do it. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. You don't know, you don't, you don't know how to navigate this problem you're facing. You don't know how to navigate the struggle, the battle you're dealing with. Whatever it is, God makes you promises. That's another thing about biblical theology. The promises throughout the Scripture... He makes you a promise. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. God gives liberally. It may not be the answer you want. But as Christ prayed, nevertheless, not my will be done, thy will be done. Since one of the main threads of Scripture is redemption, it's easy and erroneous to believe the center or point of the story is the people being redeemed. That would be misreading the story. The focal point isn't humanity. At its most fundamental level, the subject of biblical theology is the Bible's understanding of God's character and purpose and His purposes. The center and point of the story is God and His glory. i got to die to self. When I understand, it's, not, it's so, so much bigger than me. It's beyond me. Whew. Lord, give me strength to just take up my cross and follow you. It's about Him. It's about His glory. We need to see Christians who are more concerned with what glorifies God than with what benefits me. Can you imagine how radical the church would look if we found this repentance in our heart and life? That if I begin to truly say, Lord, let this life be for you. Let me present my body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. That's my reasonable act of worship when I see the big picture when I understand who you are and what you've done. What a privilege 
What an honor, church. Luke 24, 27. Don't take my word for it. Read it yourself. This is the way Jesus taught. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning Himself. You remember that? The guys are walking. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. Three days later, everybody's moping. These guys are on the road to Emmaus. Jesus comes up, and their eyes are open. And He begins to expound in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. It's all about Him. And as we read our Scriptures, as our pulpit ministry, as our teaching ministry, we must be mindful it's all about Him. The unfolding of redemptive history fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what biblical theology is. And that's what we seek to do here at Community Baptist Church. We don't apologize for that. You know, you might not see a good show, um, but I trust you will hear the Word of God. Um, I trust that you will be built up in your faith. Before we pray, I want to read you a little illustration that I think sums it up. Because I believe we, you know, we know this sometimes, but we fail to recognize that which is right in front of our face. We have the Word of God and we know it's a book about Him, and yet we know we should see Him in the pages, and yet we oftentimes miss it. We can fail to notice what is gloriously beautiful, even when it's right in front of our eyes. On January 12, 2007, a man emerged from, from the Washington, D.C. metro station at Let Font Plaza and positioned himself next to a trash can. The young man wore a T-shirt, jeans, and a ball cap. He removed a violin from a small case and then placed the open case in front of him facing the pedestrian traffic. Then he began to play. It was 7.51 a.m. on a Friday, the middle of the morning rush hour. For the next 43 minutes, the man performed six classical pieces as nearly 1,100 people passed by. Would any of these people stop to enjoy the music? The fiddler standing against the bare wall outside the metro wasn't your normal street performer. His name was Joshua Bell one of the best classical musicians in the world. He was a musical prodigy at age four and is now an acclaimed virtuoso. He packs out concert halls around the world and the music Bell played that morning was far from ordinary. Over those 43 minutes, Bell played masterpieces that have endured for centuries, some of the most elegant music ever written. And he played this beautiful music on one of the most valuable violins ever made, a Stradivarius, which was handcrafted in 1713 and is worth $3.5 million. On that Friday back in 2007, over 1,000 people had a free front row ticket to a beautiful concert by one of the world's most famous musicians, but only if they had the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And yet only a handful of people 
in the metro that morning stop to listen and enjoy Bell's glorious music. Church, to understand biblical theology correctly means we place our lives under the lordship of the king. When we understand that the central character of the story of the Bible is King Jesus, we recognize that the story exercises authority over us. The Bible is about a king who is worthy of all glory, a kingdom that only can be entered through salvation by the king's relationship with his people expressed in covenant promises. Are you missing what's right in front of your face? Are you not hearing the beautiful pull of the Holy Spirit who desires that all men would repent and come to Him? That you might enjoy the abundant life that Christ freely gives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how beautiful is your word. And Lord, we recognize that apart from the word of God, we would know nothing of you. We're left to our own idolatrous minds and idolatrous hearts to transform you into our image. And Lord, that's damnable. That's heretical. Father, help us to recognize that your word tells us that we were created in your image. We were made for a purpose, and that is to reflect your glory. Because of the fall of man, the rebellion, the wickedness that, that grew within the heart of man, we have fallen, and we're in need of a Savior. And Lord, your word unfolds that progressive redemptive history. And it brings us to the cross of Calvary to the person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today they would turn in repentance and faith, believing, trusting upon the only name under heaven, given amongst men by which to be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. You've made promises, whosoever, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Lord, may we do that if we've not done that. May we surrender our life here and now. And you said you would seal us until the day of redemption with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Help us to follow you, to study your word, to be faithful in walking with you. Lead us, guide us, direct us, fill us. And so, Lord, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. Because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.